Well, Jeremiah got 14 weeks. Old Testament, Joseph, one week. Today, we're going to embark on four weeks. That is, four looks at St. Paul and what he wrote to the church in Philippi. That letter is often called the epistle of joy. That's what it's all about. That's its theme. Because that word comes up again and again, and it permeates everything Paul writes. The city of Philippi was a Roman colony. It was planted and possessed by Rome. It was one of the four leading cities in Macedonia, what today we call Greece. It was a military outpost, and it was full of Romans. In fact, there were very few Jews, let alone Christians. There weren't even enough Jews to form a synagogue, and that took only 10 men. But that's how it was. And it was that Rome was not a bit sympathetic to the Jewish faith, and therefore certainly not sympathetic to the Christian faith that grew out of that faith. It was on his second missionary journey that Paul founded a congregation there in the city of Philippi. About 37 years or so after Jesus had come and gone from this earth. We read about the planting of that church in Acts chapter 16. And it all started by the Holy Spirit preventing, preventing Paul from going to Asia. And instead, Paul got a vision of a man in Macedonia who said, come on over to us. That's what he did. And there he met with a number of women. Lydia was one of them. Perhaps you've heard of Lydia, a very devout Christian lady. It was St. Paul then who cast out a demon from a slave girl. And because the Romans didn't like all of this, Paul was beaten and thrown in prison. And perhaps you remember the story of how the earth shook, that earthquake, and the doors of the prison opened, and Paul was free, but didn't run. And the fear-filled jailer was filled with God's Spirit, and he was baptized, baptized into God's joy. Paul wasn't long in Philippi, not at all. He wrote this letter about 10 years after he had seen the folks there. They were very special to him, and they supported him in his work and in the work of others. And I guess it was for that reason that when he wrote his letter at the beginning, he referred to them as partners in the gospel. He said, you're partners in the gospel as I pray for you. And that strikes a chord of familiarity with me. Because of you. When I pray, I think of you and pray for you as partners in the gospel. It's something that we all have, this great good news of God's love. That's joy that we participate in. Joy is a pretty common word. But like many words, it can be misunderstood. In fact, oftentimes it's simply equated with another English word. Yes, the word happiness. No, no, that's not how the Bible would define joy. Happiness is down here. Joy is up there. 
Or shall I say, joy is deep within. Happiness is one of those circumstantial things. You know, when everything goes well, there's a smile on our face. There's a spring in our step. The sun is shining and we feel pretty good. But not with joy. Being happy may put a smile on our face. But being joy-filled, that's a whole lot deeper. Oh, and speaking about happy... You know, so often people say, I I just want to be happy. Like that's the ultimate thing in life. Or I just want to make you happy. Or you talk to those who are going to be married and they say, well, we want to get married because we just want to be happy. Happiness isn't a goal in life. Good luck with that if you think it is. It's a byproduct. Putting a smile on our face and a spring in our step is a byproduct of other things. Remember our country's founding documents. It held up happiness, but not as a thing to be aimed at. We're promised life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Did you hear that? The pursuit of happiness. It's not guaranteed the happiness, but the pursuit of it is. And sometimes you can't help but wonder if it isn't a bit like a dog chasing its tail. Like we can't ever quite grasp it. And pursuit is often thought about as being on a roller coaster. You know, we're happy at one point, but then, well, not so happy. And then happy again, and then not so happy. That's the way happiness is. It is like a roller coaster, like a dog chasing its tail. It is. And it's okay But that's not everything. That's not joy. Joy is given by God. Well, happiness is too, but this is a deeper gift. It is a more constant gift. Let me put it this way. Imagine an ocean in a storm and a ship upon the ocean. It's in big trouble as the waves grow taller and taller and as the wind blows harder and harder. But did you know, I learned that deep beneath that tumultuous surface, the water, it runs quietly and it runs deeply. That's joy, down beneath the circumstances of life. Joy is, using another image, a relationship. A good relationship, one with God. That's what the Bible calls joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. That's what Paul wrote a little bit later in the letter. And did you catch where the joy is? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Him. That's where joy is found, connected to the Lord. How? Through Jesus. Jesus, who came to accomplish just that, to bring us back together to God and put us in that relationship. That's why in the book of Acts, the Psalms can be quoted and said, you fill me with joy in your presence, in your presence connected to you. Oh, there are threats to joy. Threats just like there are threats to happiness. The threats to joy and our relationship with him are many. The devil's active, very active in many ways. He's about planting seeds of doubt and distrust. The devil wants to break up what Jesus has brought together. 
He tries to disconnect our connection to God through Christ. He unleashes countless temptations that would do, <clears throat> that would do just that. You know, it's Satan's full-time job to do that. And that makes him happy. Not joyful, but that's what makes him happy. We're under attack from him all the time. But gratefully, the Holy Spirit guards us. And gratefully, the Holy Spirit gives us strength and power to defeat those temptations. The question for us who are connected to God through Jesus with that joy, the question for us is exactly this. How do we embrace that joy? And how do we keep embracing that joy continually? Well, let's first get the word straight. The word embrace, I guess we know that one, yes? It's a hug. It's a big hug. It's a hug of love, where we're held close, where we hold close to someone else. You know, something we're not supposed to do right now because of COVID, at least or except perhaps with our closest of families. But embrace is exactly that, a hug of love. And to do so continually. Now, if you ask people who love words, this can be problematic. The word continually and continuously, those, well, to us, they're pretty much the same. But to one who loves a dictionary and the slicing of words, well, let's not get involved in that. Let's just say to embrace joy continually, it doesn't mean constantly, constantly, every single moment. I mean, who can embrace God's joy like that? Oh, certainly it would be our goal, but we're weak. We can't. We don't do it constantly. But we can embrace, and we do embrace joy frequently, repeatedly, regularly, even as we aim for constantly. But that's what we want to do, embrace joy frequently, repeatedly, regularly. And we can think of, or I can, of three examples of how that takes place. St. Paul, Jesus, and then you and I as a third. Paul, do you remember? Did you know? He was in jail when he wrote this letter. Hardly a happy place, but he found it to be a joy-filled place. No doubt he didn't always have a smile on his face as he sat there in shackles, but he did have joy. He did have a connection with the Lord. It was like many others, but certainly who comes to mind is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran pastor who sat in jail during World War II in Germany, also because of his faith. A smile wasn't always on his face, but like Paul, he wrote letters, and even more so like Paul, he had joy. He had that deep connection to his Savior. That thinks that makes me think, rather, of at least two things that he found. He found, as Paul did, an opportunity to share, to share what he had. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. 
And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all. Dare all. You see how Paul used that opportunity? That opportunity to proclaim the gospel. That's how it showed up in his life. That's how God worked in him. That's how others received the joy as well. And he saw his life in a fuller reality. That's how Paul embraced joy. He saw the big picture of whether he was alive or whether he died, that God would have his way. And he was content with that. He was content whether he would be alive for the sake of the Philippians or whether he would be dead and receive the fullness of joy even more than what he lived in. Paul was able in the midst of such difficulty, embracing joy to see God's big picture. He realized he couldn't lose. The key was the Lord, whether he be alive or in heaven. But think of Jesus too embracing joy. He didn't have an easy life. When you really stop and think about it, he had a difficult life and wasn't spared any problems, none at all. His work of teaching and of healing was challenged, and it was discredited. He was loved by some, but not by everybody. As a matter of fact, he was downright hated by a number, even a great number His rightful claim to be the Son of God was met with sneering and with outrage, ridicule. It was met with hostility that ended in him being beaten, thrown in a jail of sorts, but ultimately nailed to a cross to die. Yet, the writer to Hebrews, when he writes about all this, writes, He who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Do you catch that? Jesus saw, lived in the joy that was set before him, even as he died. There's Paul. There's Jesus, most of all. But there's also you and I. And we find ourselves among many circumstances, but I can think of three that come to mind right away. Maybe too quickly, COVID-19. I know I'm tired about hearing about it and talking about it, and I'm well aware that most of us feel exactly the same way. Most everybody is bothered, some more than others, and so many are fearful, again, some more than others, by this disease that causes sickness and even death, this virus that causes disruptions all around us, divides us, It really results in us wondering what to believe about it as we hear many voices and as we engage not only in conversations, but in conversations that turn to arguments with an edge and even violence for some people. A lot of uncertainty and confusion. However, however, in the midst of all that negative, you and I can embrace joy. We can embrace the Lord Jesus, rejoice in the Lord in the midst of that. God uses this circumstance to help us look at our priorities and if need be, put them back in a correct order. 
He's using this to bring about good in us and around us. He helps us understand more than ever, perhaps, what's really essential and what's non-essential. And in the midst of all this, God is calling us to love, even when it's difficult to go out of our way, to think twice, or to look at those who would be seen to be, for some anyway, our enemies. That and more, rejoicing in the Lord in the midst of a deadly virus. But even also in political unrest. I mean, society unrest. Politics is about people. People are society. Here, as with COVID and everywhere, whether it's close at home or even in our homes, the challenges are there. There's arguments, even vicious ones. There are verbal warfares and there's violence. Much, much too much. Misunderstandings, either because we don't quite get it or because it's not just inadvertent, but conscious misunderstandings. And we could go on and on about all of that, but better to go on and on about rejoicing in the Lord in the midst of this. Because here too, we have an opportunity to embrace joy, to embrace the Lord, even in a very good way. We can look to the Lord and find joy in him. You know, ultimately, he's in control of society. He's in control of history. Whatever happens, he will use it for his purposes. He is in control, no matter how things look. We're called to remember. We're called and able to embrace that. Our confidence is directed to him. And it's perhaps taken off a a false confidence in politics or in people or in power that somebody is going to to try to exercise. Even in the midst of this, our joy is in the Lord and it can permeate us to love our neighbor and more. Not just the neighbor who agrees with us, the neighbor who disagrees with us, the neighbor who is our enemy, even as Jesus not only commands, but enables us to do, and to do good to those who hate us for whatever reason. And in the midst of this, like the others, we have opportunity to express our faith, our faith in God, our faith in the Lord, which is our joy. And the third thing that comes to mind is we can embrace even constantly our joy in the midst of moral decline. I don't have to go through all of that, I don't think, to you this afternoon. But we get a chance in the midst of all of that to evaluate the basis for our morality, what we say, what we do, how we live, guided by God. We get a chance to deal, and this is important, first with ourselves and our morality before we point our fingers toward anybody else and decry what they do or don't do. God calls us in joy to do that and to teach our children what is God pleasing, what he offers, the the strength that he offers and for us together to recommit to God's ways. And we get a chance to hold up God's will, to make it clear and to live it as a light 
in a darkening, darkening world. That's embracing joy in the midst of difficult times. I could go on and on with examples and with ways to do this, but you get the idea. And I trust and pray that you'll think about the idea. It's a real test. These challenges and more. There's more than enough. More than enough. And we're not happy in those, but we can rejoice in the midst of those. Because our joy is in the Lord. Our joy is in the Lord. As Paul wrote, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. You too, embrace that joy. Embrace the Lord continually. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And God keep us in that joy forever.